Hey guys, if you enjoy this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. Hey Tacos, are you afraid of heights? I am. I refuse to get on an airplane, to ride an elevator to the top floor, or even stand on a ladder to clean out the gutters. Or at least that's what I tell Nicole. Even if you are not afraid of heights, there is no way that you can convince me that the following scenario wouldn't make you a bit squeamish. All right, picture this. You, my friend, are a superstar. And you are also 80 feet in the air, which is about eight or nine stories suspended from the ceiling by one single rope. Your vision filled with the vast dark arena lit only by the hundreds of flashing camera lights below, which seem to be making you a bit dizzy. You glance down past your dangling feet to the 20,000 screaming your name fans, which from this high up look like nothing more than a bunch of talking ants. You notice that you feel weightless, but quickly realize that this is because all of your weight, your body, your organs, your thought streams and aspirations, and your entire life is currently supported by that one single rope attached to what you now notice is one dinky and cheaply made carabiner. Hmm, you think, will this clip really support all of me? You try not to think about it. Again, you are a superstar and your loyal fans patiently await your descendants. And then you hear it. You hear the sound of that clip go snap. What are we drinking tonight, Nicole? That is awfully refreshing. I don't really understand the name of the drink. Oh, it's like mango. Is there mango in there? It is not. But the name of the drink is Cherry Over the Edge. But there's no cherry flavor in there, nor does it taste it. I was like, maybe the weird combination of the flavors is supposed to make it taste like cherry. kind of tastes like a fruit cocktail, like the Damante. It does. It does taste like a fruit cocktail. Similar ingredients. Mm. It is peach liqueur, Ooh. vodka. Okay. And orange juice. Yum. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. It tastes like cake. But I also a taste that I know from somewhere else and I can't place it. It was a key lime shot. Key lime pie. Oh, I guess I kind of taste it a little bit after, but not really. The lime was not as powerful as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. What type of liquor is it? But that was still delicious. It was rum. It was like rum bay key lime pie. I was like, oh my God, that sounds so good. I love key lime pie. Me too. Uh, Big shout out. We have a new supporter, Taco Supremo. Hey. So welcome to Jongi. J-O-N-G-Y. Jongi. Hey, Jongi. Now that's not his real name. I don't think, because I have his real name from his email address, but I guess that's his nickname, Jongi. That's a cool nickname. Yeah. There's a story behind it, and I'd love to hear it. Or maybe it's just a spam spam bot that submitted $47. Thank you for your $47, (laughs) Mr. Spambot. So this new spam bot says, we are happy to support the show. My wife and I have stressful fucking lives, man. And I I hear that. (laughs) I like him. And we'd love to relax and listen to you guys. Aww. So, thank you so much, Jongi. Thanks, Jongi and thank wife. You. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, <laughs> boop. <laughs> <laughs> so, tonight, I have a very special request. Ooh. This is an episode one of our Taco Supremos have been requesting for me to do for about a year and a half. <laughs> so get your stories in now guys and And in 2022 i'll get to yours (laughs) but the reason i haven't done it yet is because i was waiting to do an interview with him and we finally got the time to do that this is a fantastic story i can promise you number one you haven't heard this story before and number two no other podcast has covered this story except for 
your favorite true crime podcast, The Missing. <laughs> I meant talk murder to me. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> Ours. Uh, All right. So the hint tonight was over the edge. So, Nicole, where are we going? Who are we killing tonight? All right. I think we are going to a couple who is hiking for their engagement. Uh, I was going to say engagement photo shoot, but I'm going to say the guy was going to propose and they're hiking over a cliff and they're ready to take a picture. And then she pushes him over the edge and murders him. She pushes him. Should I push you? <laughs> well, what the hell? <laughs> but he was going to propose. So that'd be weird if he was going to. I guess it could be. Maybe he was tricking her. I don't know. So, yeah. So that, they're going. This takes place in Oregon. I wouldn't want to kill someone that way because you never know. They may not die. Right. You know. Yeah, true. And but then, but also they could die. Yeah. With severe brain damage. No, I'm saying if they like, let's say they tumble down the hill and they're still alive even for an hour and they make this bedside confession. You know what? If I fell down that mountain by accident, like you didn't push me or anything, and if I'm on my deathbed in the hospital, I'll be like, Nicole pushed me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she did it. <laughs> Nicole pushed me. You're such an asshole. And then I'd just be sitting there and be like, what the fuck, man? Uh, <laughs> she did it. Get her away from me. She's going to kill me. <laughs> then I'll die. I like, cut the cord. <laughs> Unplug. My guess is that someone has a mental breakdown and something triggers them and they that just pushes them over the edge mentally and they go on a killing spree and it's happening in New York. Hmm. All right, tonight we're going to May 23rd, 1999. May 23rd? Yeah, that's my brother's birthday, I'm pretty sure. Or something happened on that day. Yeah. Didn't someone die on that day or get assassinated? I don't know, something happened on that fucking day. Yeah, the day we got married, asshole. <laughs> is it really? Oh, yes. shit, it is. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> You're such a t- mm. Oh, shit. You know, there's a lot of tough wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation. Big, mean, nasty, tough guys like Dino Bravo uses all that muscle to win his matches. Then there's Bad News Brown, the Brooklyn Brawl, with all their dirty street fighting tactics, and they use that to win. Then there's guys like Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. You think you're the greatest wrestler in the world. Well, Mr. Perfect, you step in the ring with the Blue Blazer and let me show you what great wrestling is all about. Because each and every one of you guys have your own styles, but I too have my own unique style. And I use that acrobatic maneuver to beat you guys one, two, three in the middle of the ring. And that's my strategy, to beat you guys with my great wrestling acrobatics. And that's what's going to get me to the top of the World Wrestling Federation. So all you big, tough, arrogant, nasty wrestlers, come on, I'm ready for you in the ring. So guys, tonight this is a special request from our good time friend, Tacos Primo, Ken, K-E-N. It's like pin, P-E-N, but instead of the P, you put a K there. Or maybe hen, and you take the H out, put a K there. Or Jen. Or Vin. Yeah. (laughs) This is for you, Ken. And I had the privilege of interviewing Ken, so we're going to be hearing a lot from him tonight. I'm going to cut him in to multiple different sections of this story. So, And Ken used to be a wrestling fanatic. And if you ask my parents, they'll say that I was too... Really? I don't believe them. And also they may say that I was in the Alan Jackson fan club and that I used to invite Alan Jackson to my birthday parties and he never showed up and I would cry. (laughs) All right. May 23rd, 1999. We're going to Kansas City, Missouri. And this is a live pay-per-view event called Over the Edge 1999. We had the Blue Blazer, which is Owen Hart, versus the Godfather, also, before we go any further, there is a really good Vice documentary out right now that just came out, and it's called The Dark Side of the Ring, and it goes through several different episodes of different wrestlers and their stories, and it really helped me during this research. I also read the book that his widow, Martha Hart, wrote. She's a Dr. Martha Hart of the Owen Hart Foundation. It's a really, really heartbreaking book because, as you'll see, this isn't just a wrestler like you think about Stone Cold, drinking, drugs, steroids, all this shit. This was actually a family man. Hmm. He He had a wife, he has a daughter and a son, 
And this is the guys we're going to get into that would change his flights at the last minute just so he can spend another hour with his family. Let's say he was in Vegas doing a show and he had to be up the next day because he was there. This is just an example. He would take a flight back home to spend Friday night movie night with his family, get up at the crack of dawn just to get back to the show so he doesn't miss it. Like this was a family guy. Wow. And he was an amazing guy. And because he was such a good guy, he was killed. Okay. Because if he wasn't such a good guy, he wouldn't have been doing what I'm about to tell you in the first place, which we're going to get to Hmm. here in a little bit. So Over the Edge 1999, the Blue Blazer versus the Godfather. All right, Nicole, this is the Godfather. Can you describe him? Um, He is a large man, dresses a pimp. He's got tattoos all over his chest. Um, He's wearing like a gold medallion, green hat with a feather, white glasses. He looks like iced tea. Yeah. He does, yeah. So he's dressed as a pimp, and that was kind of his persona. So these wrestlers have different personas, and it's scripted, yeah. So they do they follow these storylines. So May 23rd, 1999, Over the Edge, Sunday night, the Blue Blazer versus the Godfather. This was basically the plan. The Blue Blazer, Owen Hart, was going to rappel down from the top scaffolding the rafters, which mm-hmm. were 78 feet in the air. Now, I'm going to show you pictures of this in a second. But he was going to repel down a few feet above the ring, and then he was going to unclip his harness and fall flat on his face. It was supposed to be goofy. I'm going to tell you why it was supposed to be goofy in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it was supposed to be embarrassing and stuff like that. He actually repelled down from the rafters a few times months earlier, And I'll show you a video of that here in a second. And you can kind of see what I'm talking about. It's supposed to be goofy. But this is the last footage that Owen Hart made right before he climbs onto the catwalk 78 feet above the ring. Hmm. Ooh, the Godfather. Just saying his name makes my blue blood boil. Ooh, the Godfather. My arch nemesis. He represents everything that's wrong with the WWF. But fear not. Because I, the Blue Blazer, will always triumph over evildoers. And you know why? Because I always take my vitamins, say my prayers, and drink my milk. Woo! So you can see how he is different from someone like Steve Austin who is drinking beer and... He's encouraging kids to do good things. He's trying to be a role model. which during this time wasn't the landscape of the WWF at all. Mm -hmm. It was all about sex. The scripts were half the athletes having affairs with everyone, doing drugs. Like, it was just fucking, Hmm. and it's garbage today. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, why the fuck would you watch it? But back then, you know, you could let your kids watch it because it was about good versus evil. Right. You know, it was like that... um, What's that that guy that wrote that book about and he says all the best stories have good versus evil. Star Wars was like that. I can't remember. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of it. This is Owen Hart six months before doing the same maneuver. So go talkmer.com to see this. This is how it was supposed to go. But I have a problem. Hey, black but not be hey, it's a blazer. It's a it's a blue blazer. The blue blazer descending. From the ceiling, what in the world? And Blackman, he's still in La La Land. I don't even think. And now he sees him. The Blazers hit some uh, turbulence. Well, he's 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 looks like he's stuck in that harness. He's stuck. The idiot is stuck in the harness. The Blazer was dropping in, but he got a little hung up. A human pinata. I think the same guy planned Blazers' attack as planned General Custer's attack on the Indians. I think Blackman's gonna knock him until the candy comes out. Get him. This is not. They showed in the documentary, they showed him hanging from from the rafters, but he's low, he's getting lowered down and he can't get out of his out of his harness, right? So Steve Blackman is punching him and like, you know, punching while he's hanging in the air helpless. And that's really funny. You know what I mean? And he's kind of and, and then they show Owen try to flap his arms like he's really trying to fly. 
like it's, it's hilarious, but he can't move because he's just literally just hanging in the air. And I'm going to get to this later, but he didn't want to buy into all this sex appeal and stuff like that. So they didn't have a place to put him as the best in the country, not just in wrestling. He was far above anyone else, but hmm. they didn't have anywhere to put him because he was family oriented. So they made him do this goofy shit. So Owen Hart, he puts on his coveralls. He doesn't want people to see him. He walks kind of through the crowd. He walks up the stairs. He gets to the catwalk. It's really narrow. If you've ever been to an auditorium or an arena and looked up, you can see the catwalk. It's where the engineers and the light technicians get to fix some things. It's not very big. He's dressed as like a maintenance type facility guy. And he, he, goes, he goes to the crowd. He goes to the top of the building. And he makes his way to the catwalk dressed like this and it's, he's got coveralls he's got a baseball cap down down like re- really like you know covering his eyes kind of thing so that fans wouldn't be able to recognize him he has to make his way through crowds through fans get to the catwalk and he, got, he goes up the catwalk all the way to the top and it's there where he has to get into his blue blazer gear his wrestling attire like he's changing up there now Owen Hart is 230 pounds and of pure muscle you see he's like big dude mm-hmm. So he's wide anyway. He gets on the catwalk and he changes out of his coveralls into his blue blazer outfit that he has in his duffel bag. This is from Broken Hearts. The catwalk obviously wasn't designed for heavy traffic. At first, Owen had to negotiate slowly around a floor beam as well as a series of beams overhead. Holding tightly to the railings on either side of the narrow catwalk, he then took a right-hand turn and white-knuckled at 30 feet past a series of light standards that would fully illuminate the building upon his spectacular entrance. His careful steps along the narrow catwalk were further complicated by the dozens of plugs sticking out of electrical sockets, the fact that he had his bag in tow, and his size 9.5 wrestling boots. Now, there are two riggers there. One is putting him in the harness, which I'm going to talk about the harness in a little bit. The other one is holding the flashlight, and both the riggers are making sure that he's rigged up right and ready to go. Hmm. Now, as I'll get to later, Vince McMahon and all of his infinite wisdom wanted to shave off a few seconds of the athlete repelling into the ring, and that is because... His competitor company, the one owned by Ted Turner's company, WCW, has this guy. His name is Sting, and Sting actually made this popular. He's the wrestler that wears the face paint and kind of looks like he's from that band Slipknot. He'll repel down into the ring, wielding a baseball bat. Oh, my goodness. comes the world champion. Make no mistake about it. The world champion has arrived. Incredible. What a moment. And he's living up to it now, isn't he? His little payback from what happened last night. Most spectacular entrance I've ever seen in my life. Hard none. Sting. But it takes him a few seconds to get unhooked. So Vince McMahon and all of his greatness wanted to shave off two seconds from the athlete repelling down and being able to jump into the ring. Now, they were doing this anyway to compete with WCW because this is WWF, the event we're at now. Like I said, they're competing companies. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to basically spoof this whole sting repelling thing by having the blue blazer come down and get stuck and then falling on his face and stuff like that. Right. But he did want to shave a few seconds, which is why he opted for a new design. It's a quick release, and the actual clip was pulled from a sailboat mast that you can buy for about 70 bucks on Amazon. This 230-pound Owen Hart, 78 feet in the air, was being held by a clip, one single clip that was quick release that wasn't even designed for repelling down humans. It was designed for sailboats and disconnecting the mast really quick. Now, you can kind of tell where I'm going with this. So it was like one of those carabiners you see... In Home Depot type of thing. I feel like even that sounds or like it's more climbing. secure. <laughs> At least that's for that purpose. Yeah. This right here is the actual clip. Oh. You can see that it's broken. The over the edge gimmick was for him to be able to repel quickly. And then when he gets to the ring, just be able to release himself really quick. So the whole point of it was for him to save a few seconds. For, for what yeah. reason, I'm not sure. Because number one, Owen entered first. 
see it over the edge. He was supposed to wrestle the Godfather, and the Godfather came out second. See, I'm thinking, why, why would they have him repel if he's coming out first? Should they have the Godfather come out first, and yeah. then Owen's repelling, and Owen's coming down, right? He's just being lowered. The Godfather's already in the ring, right? The Godfather can attack him while he's still repelling and stuck to the, to the cord, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, like, why, why would he come up first? That just made no sense. Do you see how thin this metal mm-hmm. is or yeah, whatever? Yeah, that's... This was holding a 230-pound man. But also, right like, look at the little keychain. Like, look at the yeah, words, the green. Yeah, it's got, like, a keychain that I have on my Jeep keys. Yeah. And this rope, look at this rope. This is the only thing holding Owen Hart, the big wrestler. And not only that, but I'll get to, there was actually supposed to be two people being hooked together, Owen Hart and another athlete, as I'll get to in a little bit. And luckily, that got nixed because only one person died, you know? Oh, my God. Now, you kind of know where I'm going with this, don't you, Nicole? Well, yes, and you've been giving me such anxiety leading up to this, honestly. I'm like, oh, man. This is why I have a a fear of heights. I mean, not like this specifically, but. Now, unfortunately, there's not video out there of the event. I looked everywhere. The only video is supposedly locked in the WWF vault. It wasn't aired live? Like, this wasn't a live aired That's event? a really good question. Yes, it was aired live, and I'll show you the video here in a second, but they don't show the event happening. They just pan to the audience back and forth because it was pay-per-view. So what you see on pay-per-view isn't instantaneous. It's, I don't know, a minute, two minutes off, right? So mm-hmm. if something does happen, they got two minutes to turn the camera away, so millions of people won't be able to see it. Is that interesting sense? that they had the foresight of that before, you know, remember the whole Super Bowl fiasco with Janet Jackson? Mm. Come on. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're thinking 80 feet in the air. Like, you know, what is that even? That's very tall. It's very tall. But this picture right here. Now, you can't find these pictures anywhere else. I actually found these pictures in the Internet Archive sites. One guy had taken these photos. He was in the arena at the time. So I'm going to put these on talkmer.com because these aren't anywhere that you can find them very well. So I'm going to put them all on my blog right there so they can be accessed by everyone because I feel like they are important. And like I said, the guy taking these photos was a fan. I think it was like on the eighth level or something like that. But this is what 78 feet in the air looks like right here. Holy shit. So that's a lot more than you think in your mind. You know, you think 78 feet. Yeah, that seems like a lot. But go to talkmore.com because it's it's a lot. Oh, my God. It's basically. It's eight basketball hoops. That. And I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but a story is actually a unit of measurement. Did y'all know that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A story is actually like 10.263 feet. So 80 Feet is basically eight and a half stories. So maybe that'll help you if, if you to wow. picture it in your mind. But that's a very long way that he was up. Yeah, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So and Nicole, seeing this, that distance like that is real freaky. Nicole, tell us what happens. He falls. All right, picture this in your mind right now. Owen just dresses in his costume. He's ready to go. Down below... You have all these screaming fans because they know what's about to happen. They're all looking up. Everyone's screaming at him. The camera flashes are going off. He gets onto the platform. He's hooked up. The riggers double check. They basically pull it hard enough. They lift him up, the 230-pound Owen Hart, up to make sure that the clip is secured and he's going to be safe. And then he walks off of the catwalk the platform, and he is dangling. So his feet are dangling under him, and he can see the crowd, and he's being held by nothing at all, just that shitty-ass rope and that sailboat mast clip with the keychain that you would find on your car keys. That is what's holding this man. And we're going to read the police reports here in a second, but the riggers said they heard a very familiar sound that horrified them, and that was the carabiner snapping. So Owen Hart is now being held by nothing, and a 230-pound man dangling in the sky 78 feet above the arena 
is being held by nothing, there's a force called gravity that pulls you down. So he falls 78 feet. So I'm going to go back and show you this picture right here, Nicole. He falls from that top right there. He falls all the way down 78 feet in front of a live audience and hits the ring going about 25 miles an hour. He hits the top rope. He misses the turnbuckle and then he's repelled off back into the ring. I cannot imagine even being in that audience and Mm -mm. seeing that. Mm Mm-mm. In the police report, the riggers talk about how they're seeing him plunging toward the ring. He's kind of spiraling, and he's being held on by nothing. The The clip is broken. He is free-falling, spiraling, and then he falls. He actually lands on his left side first, and he hits the top rope. So when I was doing this story, I kind of wanted to have a really good idea of the impact. Like, how hard did this guy hit when he fell? So, and I'm not trying to be funny, but this website created by a bunch of college kids is called the Splat Calculator. Hmm. So it lets you put in several parameters, height and meters and mass and kilograms, which I did. I did, I had to look that stuff up, so I'm not pretending I'm smart or anything. So here's what we got right here. 24 and a half meters, which is 80 feet in the air, by 103 kilograms, which is about 230 pounds. So the speed at impact was 21.91 miles per second. It's pretty fast. The estimated time until impact was 2.24 seconds. That's very fast falling, you know, from there. Now, I'm not really sure how to portray joules, J-O-U-L-E-S, in a measurement that we can all understand. But it's 24,730 joules. That's the force of the impact. Is basically like dropping a freaking watermelon from that. I was worried that the website you're going to show was going to then show like what it would be. <laughs> like if you threw a body, I was like waiting for a cartoon image of it. Waiting for the actual splat. Yeah. Oh. I was well, racing myself the whole time for it. All right. Let's talk about his injury. So he is the ground in front of everyone. He actually hits his left side first, thus absorbing the entire impact on his left side instantly shatters his left arm above the elbow, completely obliterated. Massive internal injuries, obviously. Did he not die instantly? Unfortunately, no, he did not die instantly. He actually survived for about 45 minutes, and it was probably one of the worst 45 minutes you could go through. Wow. He flipped off of the rope backwards by the cables. He hits the cables right by the turnbuckle, which is the the sides of the cables that kind of allow you to Mm -hmm. provide tension right by there. He bounces off the rope and then he hits the ring with so much force after he's already bounced once that he flies over a foot in the air off that second impact. That's a lot. So he's like, boom, boom. And then he flies a foot in the air, which is a lot of impact. The fans were cheering not because they were dicks, but because they thought this was a part of the show. Right. Because as we'll talk about, wrestling has to keep upping the bar on everything they do. Our people will get bored of it. The so they literally thought that this was how it was supposed to go. Uh, this is not a part of the uh, entertainment here tonight. We are as, this is as real uh, as it real can be here. And this is not a, a your typical wrestling uh, storyline. This is a real situation Owen Hart was to ascend in a superhero like entrance from the ceiling of this arena and something terribly terribly went wrong um it's theatrics yeah let's talk more about the injuries his aorta was violently torn open this instantly started filling his lungs with blood what I remember to my best understanding Owen Hart when he fell I mean, Jim Ross said he, it sounded like he hit the turnbuckle and maybe the ring post, but I think he hit, and it was a sickly thud. This is like horrifyingly sick of, a, of, a, of an impact. I think he landed uh, on the top rope, sort of maybe a couple of feet or a foot away from the turnbuckle. So it was the part of the rope that's really, really, really tight. All right, say like you're being repelled down, right? Like Mission Impossible, where you're just kind of floating in the air. I think that's how Owen hit the rope. 
like like falling like a belly flop into a pool, but he landed on the on the top rope. So I think when that happened, that's where the chest trauma happened. So he severed an aorta in his heart, and he basically lungs filled with blood until he drowned. That's the long story short of how he died. Now he was still alive through all this, and ah. a survival reflex, and you can see him right here. Now this is after he fell. You can kind of see him. Notice how limp his body is mm-hmm. right here. Oh, So that is him, and that's the paramedics working. Look at his arm. It's yeah. completely limp. Now, he did manage to pull his mask up a little bit. So he was alive, God. and he sits up doing a sit-up. And Martha Hart, in her book, kind of described it as, and she wasn't there, or the kids, so that's good, but... Think of someone that just did like a thousand sit-ups and they're doing their last one and they're like, yeah, really struggling. Ugh. Yeah. That was kind of how it was because he has everything's broken in his body, literally everything. <sighs> but he did manage to sit up for a second, which may have worsened the situation altogether. He does lift his mask off a few inches, but can't complete it because as you see, and you can kind of see in the photo, his entire body, including his face, his neck, his arms, swelled up instantly. So he's a lot bigger there than he normally is mm-hmm. because it's like instant swelling. They had to cut everything off of him. God. You can't pull off anything because it's too tight. Right. At this point, he starts reaching cyanosis, which basically means a human starts turning blue That's because they're not getting oxygen. Why is he not getting oxygen? Well, because all the blood is filled up his lungs and oxygen can't be pushed to any parts of his body. He is turning completely blue at this point. In the ambulance, because there was an ambulance there, and you're like, well, of course. This was the first time there was an ambulance at any one of these events. Hmm. And the only reason the ambulance was there was because Vince McMahon the outspoken owner of the WWF was in the skits all the time. You know, he was a part of the script and a part of the script for tonight, the professional wrestlers didn't want him to come out on stage and talk trash like he usually does. So they took a chair and broke his knee. Now this is all scripted. This isn't real, right? but the script shows him getting, you know, his knee busted by these wrestlers. Yeah, this is this isn't real. This is fake. This is just for TV. But they actually hired a real ambulance because they were going to drive him out and that would be part of the show. That was the ploy. So luckily they have an ambulance there and the EMTs start working on him. It's a good thing it was a real ambulance and not a fake fake one. Well prop. Well and I'm gonna get to this later, but the ambulance actually couldn't drive him to the hospital. Because that they weren't under contract to do that. So they actually had to wait until another ambulance arrived and switch him over before he even got to the hospital. Wow. There's a lot of shit about this story. Now, in the ambulance, the fake one, not the fake one, but the one that didn't take him to the hospital, he still had an electrical signal to his heart, but the heart wasn't beating. There's still hope he wasn't flatlined. As I said, they were waiting for a real ambulance. And I know that is a real ambulance, but they weren't under contract to drive him to the hospital. That makes no sense. None of this makes sense. Nicole, read this. This is from Broken Hearts. This is about the fake real ambulance. However, as precious time ticked away, several distraught wrestlers began to demand that Owen be transported immediately. At one point, The Rock leaned into the driver's side of the cab and began yelling, Who is driving this mother effer? At the same time, another wrestler jumped into the passenger side. Oh, I love The Rock. Yeah, so, I mean... He's the only wrestler I really know. Well, yeah, so all these wrestlers, since it is scripted, all these wrestlers are pretty close to each other. They're friends, pretty much, you know. But, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. And they're like, why the fuck isn't this thing moving? Exactly. And then they were trying to explain, well, we're not supposed to drive him there. And then the rock's like, what the fuck? Owen's eyes remained opened and fixed ahead, revealing no sign of life whatsoever. That is, people dilated five millimeters, nearly twice normal, with yet another ominous sign. The show must go on. So the announcers were given 10 seconds to inform the entire world that Owen Hart was dead. 
here at uh, in Kansas City. Uh, tragedy befell the World Wrestling Federation and all of us. Owen Hart was uh, set to make an entrance from the ceiling, and uh, he fell from the ceiling. And I have the unfortunate responsibility to let everyone know that Owen Hart has died. Owen Hart has tragically died from that accident here tonight. Were they not frantic as that thing was happening either? Like, you know Yeah, what I mean? they were. Yeah, I mean, this is the pay-per-view. They're not even showing the ring. This is what the people at home are seeing. Right. So what are they seeing? They're seeing people, pannings of the audience. People standing up. Yeah, they're seeing the audience. They're not seeing anything with the ring. All right, so the ambulance finally did arrive, and they rushed him to the Truman Hospital. And at 8-12, he was pronounced dead at the age of 34. Jeez. And for all you medical people out there, I'm not really sure what this is, but the Glasgow Coma Scale, his was listed at 3 out of 15. So that's bad. I'm not really sure what it is, though. Now, let's talk a little bit about Owen Hart, because one of the reasons this is so tragic is because he was a family man, like I mentioned earlier. And when I started watching wrestling in late 91, I had no idea who he was. I didn't really know who Bret Hart was. Uh, Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler of all time. Or at least in my top five, for sure. But he's way up there. And if I were to make a top ten list of all time, Owen Hart's in there as well, I think. And he actually hated his job. He he didn't hmm. he didn't actually like wrestling at all. He was actually trying to get out of it, but they didn't really pay him that much, as much as you think. It wasn't easy being a young heart wrestler. I was living my dad's dream, being an amateur wrestler and going for the Olympics. Owen told High Road Productions in his biography. But I hated it. I didn't like dieting. I didn't like being Owen Hart, the famous Hart boy, Stu Hart's son. But I always had this feeling. When I come home, I want to please my dad. He wanted to be a film director when he was growing up. But he grew up the youngest of 12. Whoa. I'm going to brief through the history right quick. But he was the youngest child of 12. And out of those 12, nine of the boys were wrestlers and the three sisters married wrestlers. Wow. So that's a lot. You know, I mean. Woo, that's a big wrestling family. Holy crap. Well, when you think of the Hart family, they were the ones that basically brought this into the public eye. Stu Hart, S-T-U, started Stampede Wrestling in Calgary. These are Canadians. Got it. And at his house, which is basically like an open invitation for any athlete, they had this dungeon down deep in the basement where there was like a mat and all kinds of stuff. And Stu would throw people around Hmm. and like all the sons too. And Andre the Giant would go there and train like all these big guys. If you were if you were going to be anybody in the wrestling world, you most likely went through stampede wrestling and trained at the dungeon huh okay so owen grew up in this family there was no escaping it there was no escaping it no but Mm. when i first saw him he was part of a tag team called the new foundation and because well back in the late 80s and the early 90s brett and kim d'angelo nineheart were the original heart foundation and when brett hart came to uh branch off into a singles career starting around like 91 or something, they put Owen with Jim and they called him the new foundation. So they had these baggy MC hammer like pants. They were kind of like gold and green checkered and they had like suspenders. They were like these really, really baggy pants, which probably looked like it was really awkward to work in the ring with. Yeah. And, but Owen would, still, <laughs> Owen would still do his, his stampede wrestling style moves and his, and his high flying, you know, backflips and stuff like that in those pants. It was just crazy. Owen never did really like wrestling from what I learned about him. He only wanted to kind of please his dad, but that actually blossomed into him being the favorite son Hmm. and the the most talented of all the Hmm. Hart boys. Now he has a brother, Bret Hart, that reached superstar status. The reason Owen was such a superior athlete to many of the other wrestlers is because he was highly acrobatic. Hmm. acrobatic so he would do the flips and everything he would actually bounce off of the rope 
and then like flip over and put someone in a headlock or whatever. Oh now, I'm, I'm not really sure how this all wrestling stuff works, but I can tell you that there was no one that could match his talent at all. He was the most talented wrestler out there, which is why he went down in this blue blazer thing because they wanted to keep him in wrestling because he was so talented, but he didn't want to buy into all the salaciousness that was Mm -hmm. going on in the WWF, but they had to keep him in somewhere kind of thing. Did they script him winning a lot or losing? He was just at the precipice of making his superstar debut and being one of the greats you know even though owen was looking to sort of kind of move away from the business around that time had he not died and that had he not died in 99 think of who was coming in to the company around that time in less than six months to a year there were so many guys that made it to the wwe that could have literally given owen hart some of his best matches uh he could have had a total career resurgence a complete 180 in his career so he would have gone from floundering around in the mid-card with a blue blazer gimmick to having a total resurgence in his career. Because guys like, um, and, and again, I'll mention his name, Chris Benoit was part of the WWE in 99, 2000. Eddie Guerrero was there. Dean Malenko showed up. Uh, Edge and Christian were there. And Kurt Angle was there. So you would have had a lot of good talent that could have worked with him had he not passed away. So he hadn't even really hit his, he really hadn't even hit his peak yet when he, when he, when he died. Because uh, nobody really could touch him in 99. He was just on a whole other level of talent. So he was literally on his way up. Now, I'm not going to get in too much of the wrestling because I know it's going to, I don't want this episode to be like seven hours. But his idol was a J- Japanese wrestler named Tiger Mask. Now, America pulls a lot of our wrestling, the professional wrestling, that is, the, the stuff you see on TV, from the Japanese market. Hmm. Now, the thing they do differently in Japan is... The only thing they have scripted is the ending of the match. So who actually wins and loses everything else is basically like a boxing match, not boxing, but they, it's not, is non-scripted. Right. In America though, it is scripted. Every move is scripted. Okay. I'm going to do a headlock here. I'm going to do a pile driver Hmm. here. You know, they are all in character. And then when the wrestlers are actually, you know, have each other in headlocks, they talk to each other during it. So, like, hmm. let's say you're a wrestler up there and you got the rock in the headlock. When no one can hear him, no one can see his mouth. Okay, now go ahead and throw me against the rope and I'm going to do a double backflip or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're actually talking to each other. In most cases, they're all really good friends with each other. Right. Okay. So it is fake per se, but it's it's just entertainment, you know? It's kind of weird. Like I, It is weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But I can kind of get it. And after talking to Ken and seeing his passion for it, or what it used to be, I can kind of see the appeal. A storyline is a predetermined piece of uh, written plotting for a wrestler in their character uh, over, over, over a period of time. They also call it a program. A program is a series of matches you work with your opponent, and in turn, the program draws money. It's called doing business. Wrestling is not fake. There's nothing fake about it. You will hit the ropes, that's going to hurt. That's going to sting you. It's going to leave bruises on your back. You hit the mat, it's just like being in a real fight. It's probably worse, actually. Jolts your whole body. Probably feel your teeth rattle when you take a bump on the back. I mean, flat back bump. Most basic wrestling stuff. It takes incredible cardiovascular conditioning to be able to run the ropes, to be able to bounce off the mat, to get back up, do the same thing again, to be able to lift a human being. And it takes two to tango. Your opponent has to work with you. So you're not just lifting somebody up with as dead weight. The opponent is going to, like, help you in lifting him up. So they're going to like kind of spring themselves up so they can go up for you like a like a light feather versus a full refrigerator. The next secret he told me was all about getting juiced. He explained how the stampede wrestlers would conceal a razor blade in the tape around their wrists. When they'd get knocked out of the ring, they'd roll under the skirt of the canvas, take their blade out, do their gig and throw the blade under the ring. Then they'd reemerge bleeding profusely. It sounded like an awful sacrifice for a few minutes of entertainment, but Owen reassured me it was harmless. He explained that although it looked horrific, the cuts generally amounted to little more than a scratch. So a lot of the wrestlers that you see on TV are into drugs and prostitution and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But Owen, as I kind of portrayed earlier, was not into that. He was a family man. You really got to read the book to really understand it. 
during this time, Vince McMahon, the WWF owner, was battling against Ted Turner's crew in the WCW. And there was basically a ratings war going on. So this is after the whole Hulkamania, the golden era, where you can let your kids watch it. Now they're just trying to get ratings. And kind of like in today's newspaper and media, what do you want to do when you get ratings? You make everything about sex, violence, and all kinds of other shit. Mm -hmm. So that's where it was going. And that's where wrestling went. And that's where it currently is now. It's in the sewers. But Brett didn't want to play along with that. Yeah, even in the clip that you showed, he was almost like a retro throwback compared to the two people who were interviewed after mm -hmm. that announcers. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like made you think that maybe he was in a different time of wrestling. Than yeah, that's guys. the thing. I mean, they they didn't know what to do with him. He was so good, but he didn't want to. So, for instance, the skit that they were wanting him to play was he was going to have an affair. Now, this is all just part of the show. He was going to have an affair with one of the valet girls, you know, the girls that come out with the mm -hmm. big boobies. He was going to have an affair with one of those. But Owen Hart's like, no, I don't want to do that because I my don't want watch. my kids yeah. to see that and see that I'm having an affair. And that's not the type of guy I am. You know, not not real life storyline, but he was supposed to be romantically involved with someone yeah. other than his wife. And that wouldn't have looked good to his kids or friends of his children. He didn't want to have to like come home to his wife and explain everything and get all that confused. So he figured, all right, I'll do the Blue Blazer gimmick. That's pretty harmless in terms of, you know, I can't, my kids won't think anything less of me for that. So, you know, because back then it was like they were in the middle of that white hot era where, you know, vulgar sex and all the ultra violence was, you know, becoming the new thing. So if he didn't do what they asked, then they, they would, they would find a way to replace them or he just had, he was just fearing for his job more than anything. So instead of, the Deborah angle, he did the Blue Blazer gimmick, and that's ultimately what, you know, the rest. You know, when all these other wrestlers are doing drugs and, and getting prostitutes in the hotel room, Owen is on the next flight home to spend a few hours with his family and his wife and kids before he's got to fly back the next morning. Mm. And in the book, it's really sad because Martha, when he couldn't come home, he would write all these little notes on this hotel itinerary, and sometimes he would send them to her. And other times he would just hide them like in her stuff, you know, when he mm -hmm. was home and she'd find them. But he was always in the hotel room talking to her or whatever while all these other wrestlers are going doing God knows what, yep. you know. And another thing is when he was at home, you know, his kids were young. They were watching not SpongeBob or whatever was around that time, Power Rangers or whatever. So when Owen was in the hotel room all by himself in Vegas or wherever, he would be watching those kids shows just because it reminded him of being at home. I mean, it's just stuff like that. This guy, like I, I'm not, I'm not doing a really good job of portraying it, but the reason this is so sad is because this was a really, really good guy. Yeah. So if you want to read this, this is from Martha Hart's book. Whereas wrestlers had once been a collection of comic book superheroes battling evil challengers, the WWF had degenerated into a sleazy soap opera that suddenly revolved around immorality, sex, and vulgarity. Catering to the lowest common denominator in society, McMahon thrust the WWF into a dark, seedy world in which good guys were bad and bad was better. Using Texan stone-cold Steve Austin as his new poster boy for disrespect, McMahon took dead aim at adolescence and began introducing sexual plot lines, increased violence, and vulgarity. Owen hated it. If you read this book, you'll realize that Vince McMahon is like the biggest piece of shit on the planet. He just looks sleazy, too. He, he looks he like is a lizard a complete man. complete fucking sleazeball. As I said, the show went on after Owen hit the mat and there was actually a huge dent in the mat, and you can see the wrestlers kind of stepping over it, and you can see blood stains and everything else. Jesus. And they were still going on, even though this thing was a crime scene. Wearing nothing but a pair of white socks, Owen's naked, lifeless body was covered with a white sheet. Meanwhile, the show went on. So essentially, this was basically a crime scene. That's the most horrifying thing about it. It was controversial then, it still is to this day. They... They continued on with like three or four more matches. That's it was ridiculous, really tough. man. <laughs> you I know? Mean, it's, yes, <laughs> the argument can be. The, I know, I know. The police, Kansas City police, should have basically stopped everything. All right. So the rigor that actually hooked him up, this guy named Bobby Talbert, 
He was from Florida. He he boasted that he worked with all these other performers. This company that they used wasn't the WWF company. It was this rigging company. They, you know, threw Elton John up and spun him around the stage. And they worked with all these big names. So they were really credible. Right. But I'm sure they used, you know. Oh, yeah. they yeah. Actual cords that you're meant yeah, to use. Yeah, exactly. So the rigging company was told by Vince McMahon that he wanted to save a few seconds and they wanted to add a quick release snap. So this is what the rigger tells Owen Hart before he falls to his death. As long as you don't put your hands on this, nothing's going to happen. Talbert allegedly reassured him. When you get to the floor, you grab it and give it a deliberate pull upwards. So it gives me a visual cue to pull the rope back up. And like I said before, this was a sailboat clip. This wasn't a person clip. As you saw the picture, go talkmore.com. Martha actually still has the actual clip. Wow. And she's going to keep it forever. And she shows it on the Vice documentary. But you could buy that clip for $68.60 at the time. It was four inches and it was eight ounces in weight. Eight ounces to hold a 230 pound man. Not only that, it had a six pound release on it. So if you think of a handgun, and think about pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. That usually has about a six-pound release, a six-pound pull. So think about how much pressure it takes to pull the trigger. Not a lot. No. That shit will go off easy. Okay. Six pounds is all it takes to be unbuckled and snap out of that harness. So do you think that, that he accidentally no, released he didn't it? Actually, no, he didn't do it. You can see the, the clip right here. Okay. It actually broke. Uh, in Bret Hart's book, I, I distinctly remember reading a part where where they were lowering him. Um, Bret, Bret thinks that Owen was fidgeting with his cape, or he was just kind of fidgeting because he was uncomfortable, or part of the cape was starting to choke him as he was being lowered. So him fidgeting and moving around is probably what re- what triggered the release. But also Bret Hart said that the um, the, the six or seven pounds uh, of, of deep deep breaths was enough to release it. Yeah. That he was taking the the seven like the, the deep breath that he was taking was enough to release the, the clip, and that's scary as hell, dude. Terrifying. If he would have did it himself, then there may have not been a lawsuit or anything. But this is an actual broken clip. You see, it didn't even hold him. But before that, six pound pressure release is nothing. All right, so you so you fired a gun before, right? Yes. It takes six pounds to pull the trigger. Which is not a lot, but no. think about this. I mean, you have to like, it's not like I could make it really go off by accident, but yeah. Okay. The the clip is in front of his chest. Okay. Mm-hmm. If he was to breathe heavy, like take a big breath, <gasps> that force is over six pounds hmm. there. Okay. So that force of him breathing, if you want to equate it to the pulling the gun trigger Mm -hmm. is well over the amount to pull the trigger. Therefore, if he would have just breathed too heavily, he would have fell from the sky. And not only that, he had this costume on and he was, you know, wiggling around trying to get situated. Yeah. And you got your adrenaline pumping. I mean, I, I, even if he had repelled from the rafters before, it's not something that is normal for a human, you yeah. know, like yeah. I, I feel like my adrenaline would be pumping. Your, your breaths would get heavier in that situation. So six pound release is that's criminal. Literally, the script was also really poorly planned. Owen Hart argues back and forth with the writers and the scenario that was supposed to happen was he was supposed to descend to the mat with a midget attached to his harness. Oh, God. Dressed as the Blue Blazer Mini. This guy's name is Max Mini, right here. And he was going to be like Dr. Evil's little friend. That's a Mini me or whatever. So the Blue Blazer, Owen Hart, was going to have a midget attached to him, and they were oh both going to descend together. Luckily, that didn't happen because they would have both died or maybe Owen would have fell on this guy and he would have been squashed. I don't know. But not only that, this guy didn't even speak English. So when you're a rigger and you're trying to tell someone, okay, don't release this harness. Okay, this is you need to 
be careful not to do this. There was no translator to even tell him how to do it in the fucking first place. Like, what, what the fuck? He didn't even understand English. Yeah, this guy was going to be dead. Luckily, Owen refused to have that happen. Mm. You know, that's good. And it, luckily, this guy wasn't attached. It's fucking ridiculous. Jesus. It, they are trying to make it to be like a circus. It is a fucking circus. And that's why Martha Hart in her book keeps calling it, keeps calling it a circus and yeah. sideshow freaks because it fucking is. If Vince McMahon wouldn't have made it so trashy where they always have to up the ratings because the Hulkamania era where it's all like drink your vitamins and all this mm-hmm. shit, that was actually good for America. You know, yeah. we looked up to those people, but now it's all like, you know, literally having sex on stage or something. It's just fucking ridiculous. I wouldn't let my kid go see that shit. Yeah. You serious? I wouldn't let him watch that on TV. And that's the thing. Like wrestling, the main audience were kids when it was first came out. Right. Now your kids can't even watch it because basically having sex on stage. <laughs> and there everyone's doing steroids. <laughs> it's like, so- what the fuck? The release cord, designed to quickly separate Owen from the rope upon ring entry, was then brought to the front of Owen's harness and secured on the upper right side of his chest using black gaff tape, similar to electrical tape. As designed, one quick tug on the cord would trigger the snap shackle and allow Owen free range in the ring. It only took six pounds of pressure to rid himself of the rope, and Talbert explained that Owen should pull it in a deliberate upward fashion, cueing Talbert to pull the rope back up. Now, there was one other minor victim. The referee was in the ring, and multiple witnesses heard this, including the referee. He actually, I think, broke his leg because he got hit with Owen's leg. But when Owen was falling to his death, because if you're falling that high, there's no other alternative. You know you're about to die. He was screaming, and he wasn't like, ah! He was saying, get out of the way, get out of the way. He was trying to clear the entire ring so he wouldn't fall and hit anyone. So, I mean, it's just, that's how sad this whole thing is. It's like, how does even, even his reflexes are good human reflexes. I know this guy. I mean, fuck me, man. You know what I mean? I would have been like, ah, and this guy was like, move, move out the way. I'm coming down. I don't want to hit you kind of shit. Right before he gets splattered on a freaking mat. God. It's like awful, man, how good of a dude this was. The riggers were looking away. And at the, at the exact moment that the riggers were looking away, suddenly he's falling. That's when it happened. They, were, they just happened to be looking away. And suddenly he's clawing at the air. He's falling straight down. He's done. He knows he's done. And the last thing he said before he actually struck the, struck the floor, the mat, was look out. He wanted to make sure nobody was in his way. Referee. Oh, my God. Yep. He, when Owen was falling, when Owen was falling, he still had the wherewithal to, to tell somebody to get out of the way. This proves how selfless and how much of a good human being he was. Just that right? He knows he's done. Your life's over, and you have a second. You have a second left in your life. And I remember Martha Hart in the documentary saying, you know, what a horrible feeling that must have been to know that it's, this is it for you. This is the end, and there's nothing you can do. That is what it said. That's the most horrible feeling in the world. So he's just, he's plummets, he's done, but at least he made sure he didn't take anybody with him. But I didn't want to make this story too long, obviously, so I'm going to kind of wrap it up. If you look at the Wrestling Hall of Fame, Owen Hart is not in there. Why? Being the best wrestler of all time is not in there. Because Martha Hart has so much disdain and hatred towards the circus that killed her husband that she doesn't want him to be in there at all. But Martha Hart, actually, if you've been reading her book, you know that she wanted justice and accountability. She didn't care about money. Ultimately, she got a lot of money, enough money to start the Owen Hart Foundation. And that's what her, that's what her purpose in life is. Her purpose in life after Owen's death, because ultimately it is a happy story. Martha Hart had two... If, if you watch the documentary, it says right at the right at the moment she received the news of Owen's passing, she saw like a tunnel with two paths to go down. One was just ultimate ultimate destruction and 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 sadness, or the other one was redemption and just pressing forward kind of thing. So she obviously chose the the only path she could choose. And the Owen Hart Foundation that she started was you know 
a part of that. So it, it helps people buy homes, you know, single mothers like her uh, get 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 into a, a home, um, you know, supply like helping them with their income kind of thing. So they're they're definitely doing a lot of good, and that's why they also don't want to own her in the Hall of Fame because she doesn't want him glorified by the same company that took him away from her. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our heavyweight world champion, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it and dedicate it to you here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is Bad Dog John Boy here with Nequeezel of Death and the Destroyer of Worlds, Jen. And until next time, woo! Oh.